If you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis in chapter 39. Last week, Pastor Allen talked to us, and it was a powerful message just on the waiting on the Lord. And he gave a picture that was especially meaningful to me, and because oftentimes, just to get away, we, we kind of live in the country, and when we're on the island at night, we like to go to the West End, and there's no light out there at all. And you can genuinely look up and you can see the 9,000 stars that scientists think you could see at any one time. And he showed a picture from Africa, which you could almost see. I mean, you could see the small ones in detail. And God hung every one of those stars. And he said this very simply, if he can do that, he's got you, right? And he paints this picture all through the Old Testament about the sands numbered are going to be like your ancestors, he said to Abraham. That we, he knows the hairs on our head, and he's got everything under control. But even knowing that we could be in a time of waiting doesn't mean it's going to be easy. And that there are some things that, especially in our minds, we can change so that we can get through at least the process of resting in him and going outside and looking up and saying, you know what, Lord, you got this. There's an Old Testament character named Joseph who had so many ups and downs, it was ridiculous. And most of which he didn't do anything wrong after the get-go. It started in mayhem, and we're going to skip from one story probably four scenes in his life tonight. But I want you to think like this before we read in, in, in the scripture, that throughout time, my parents had all these little clever one-liners, right? We're taught to encourage children with. Uh, let, me think of, let me think of a few, because one of them scared the mess out of me. <laughs> the world is your oyster, I'm five. What does that mean? Right? I remember in the 80s when it really became a big deal for advertisers to pick up on this. Where's the beef? <laughs> Who did that? Wendy's. Everybody knew you got to go to Wendy's if you want any meat. Nike. Just do it. How about personal guidance rules like my parents would tell me, don't talk to strangers. You're with me. Why can't I talk to that guy? He, he's got candy, and I'm about to have surgery. I remember my, my brother was about to have surgery in the, in, the, in the waiting room. He was offered candy. Don't talk to strangers. Mom, you're right here. <laughs> there was one. <laughs> yeah, I remember now. All of our teachers taught us, if you're ever on fire, what do you do? You guys are the best audience ever. Stop, drop, and roll. I, was, I waited every day for the day that I was going to catch on fire, thinking, it's going to happen. I mean, they've been telling me all this time. I'm looking for all the other people. Who's been on fire in your life? Scott, don't raise your hand. Well, in 1937, Disney tried to pass on some good advice to all of us. When Snow White meets the seven dwarfs, and she says, I'll move in here, 
but the place is a mess. So we're going to have to do some cleaning up, right? Well, what did she teach them to sing? Because nobody could do it. it. Whistle while you work. What is it a picture of? Enjoying what the unenjoyable. I can't do it, so I've got to sing. Oftentimes in our history, they have taught people to whistle or sing while you're at work to get the monotony through. When your spiritual life becomes monotony because you're trying to clean up a mess that only the God of the universe can clean up, there are some things that Joseph knew innately because he had a relationship with God that we're going to learn tonight and we're going to pull out of Scripture that we'll see. The illustration of how you can experience joy in the midst of the unenjoyable. Listen to... uh, What J.R. Tolkien said. Faithless is he that says farewell when the road darkens. Think of whistling while you wait or while you're working in your spiritual life as a demonstration of literal faith in spite of your waiting. It's literally how you walk out when you're afraid. We want to look into Joseph's life now. And before we read, I want to give you a little background. He's a 17-year-old tattletale. He's got 11 brothers, and they hate his guts. His dad gives him an expensive, colorful, majestic robe while everybody else is wearing rags. He has a dream that everyone in his family is going to bow down to him after he has a dream that his brothers are going to bow down first. He tells them about it. If I'm stupid enough to tell my brothers about it, I deserve a little bit of, you know, ribbing. Jacob sends Joseph out. Jacob is Joseph's father. And he, his brothers are shepherding in Shechem. And he says, go check on your brothers in Shechem. So he takes off, finds a guy who says they've already left here, but they're in Dothan. He heads to Dothan. The brothers see him coming and say, here comes that guy that we hate. Let's kill him. Reuben talks them into throwing them into a pit. He's the oldest instead to have mercy on their brother. Then while they're eating, he's in the pit. Ishmaelites come by and they decide they're going to sell him into slavery. He's gone. The boys dip Joseph's coat in goat blood, return to their dad, and say he's dead. His dad is inconsolable. But their brother's gone, so they don't have to hear it anymore. Then Joseph sold in Egypt after the Ishmaelites to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard. So here's where we're going to pick the story up today in Genesis 39, 1 through 3. I know I didn't give you enough time to look, but it'll be on the screen. And if we would, let's go ahead and stand in honor of the reading of God's Word. It is the center of everything that we do. In verse 1, now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. And the Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. 
His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. In verse 19, it says, As soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, This is the way your servant treated me. His anger was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison in the place where his king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. But the Lord, again, was with him. The Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And, he, and the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. He, the keeper of the prison, paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. Y'all can be seated. <clears throat> the first point that I want you to see, the first principle that Joseph knew based on just this passage of Scripture was this. God's presence was persistent. The Lord was with him. The Lord was with him. The Lord was with him. Look at verse 2. The Lord was with him. Look at verse 3. The Lord was with him. Keep looking. That's crazy. If you can wake up every day and know that the Lord is with you, would that change how you live your life? Would it change how you feel about what's going on in your life currently now? It doesn't a lot of times is the truth. The word Lord is in all caps in this passage. Every time it says the Lord is with him. It's a picture of the one true living God. It conveys the proper name of the Lord. The Israelites only saw consonants and many times could not even say that out loud. It was so holy. It was the holy I am the I am Lord. If I am the I am, that is the God that hung the stars that we were talking about last week. We start with that. The Jews held this so sacred. Joseph knew that the Lord was with him. Not lowercase, not a Lord, not I go to church sometimes and yes, God says this and that. But the God of the universe is on my side. Potiphar puts him in charge of everything he has right when he's sold to him, just about. You know, years are going by, and he is faithful day after day in Potiphar's house, so he keeps getting raised up in the ranks. The Lord blessed Potiphar. So who else saw that the Lord was with him? Potiphar. And everyone in Potiphar's family saw that the Lord was with him. Potiphar's wife thinks Joseph's a catch. Potiphar's out working. Joseph's working for Potiphar. And she treats him as if he's a slave and says, I'm going to seduce you. And tries over and over and over again. But his faithfulness, because when no one was looking, the God of the universe was where? Was with him. When I'm struggling with Behind closed doors sins, who's with me? As a believer, who sees what I don't want him to see? 
Or do I want him to see it as a believer? Absolutely I want him to see. I want to know that my forgiveness is legitimate and wash me white as snow. Good faith and good character receives day after day, minute after minute, God's gracious forgiveness for my sin. Therefore, repentance looks like I turn from it because he is God and I am not. And therefore, I should honor him with my body, which is God's. 1 Corinthians 6 says, he owns me. I no longer own me. Joseph knew, she's hot, God owns me, Potiphar has been faithful, I will not betray my master because of my sexual desires. No matter what my flesh tells me, I will not get off course. He was disciplined because the Lord was with him. When he woke up in the morning, he talked to the Lord before he talked to Potiphar. He got his instructions from God before he got them from the house. And it made him faithful. And we look in verse 21, the Lord was with Joseph even though she tried to seduce him. She turns him in for turning him down. And Potiphar believes her. I bet he had a hard time doing that. He was angry, though, the scripture says. I would have been. If my wife said something like that, I would have been mortified. Get the guy out of my house. So Joseph finds himself right back into slavery, but in a different form. He went from being the head of the house, second in charge, to back in prison. Shackled. Unfairly. He did nothing wrong But we see right after that in verse 39, in chapter 39, verse 21, the Lord's still with him. He went with him from his leadership position, from the pit to the leadership position in Potiphar's house to now in prison. The Lord is still with him. The keeper of the prison puts Joseph in charge because in verse 23, two verses after that, The Lord again is with him. Amen? That's good stuff. In your time of waiting, you can know that the Lord is with you. That when you go outside, there's a reason you're going outside. Because you believe the Lord is with me inside. But I just want to see that your beauty, and it reminds me when I'm looking up to the clouds, that you are God and I'm not. And you hung that and I didn't. And I can't explain anything. And when my opinions supersede my walking around belief, I need to put my eyeballs on a redirection. And that's a good habit that we can get into. Look up and look around and look away from the trial that you are, you are in. You can know that you know that you know that the Lord is with you. Or do you think that a Lord might be with you? Does other people, when they look at your life, would someone else outside your family or in your family go, he's just a religious guy. Not the Lord is with him and I know it. And my testimony is showing it. Other scripture Examples in the Old Testament were when Moses called Joshua in Deuteronomy 31, verse 6. Be strong and courageous. Don't fear, be in dread of them. You have nothing to look 
at them. They can't do anything to you, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Again, right after that in verse 8, it is the Lord that goes before you. He's with you and he's in front of you even. He will be with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. He says that twice. Do not fear or be dismayed. Who in here has been afraid this week? Me? It's easy to preach, but it's difficult to live. Joshua to the Israelites. He'd already lived this out. Moses told me this. I got to tell you this. In verse 9 of chapter 1. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Don't be frightened. Don't be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. David to Solomon writes in 1 Chronicles 28, 20. Then David says to Solomon, be strong and courageous and do it. Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God, even my God, is with you. Personal. He will not leave you or forsake you until all the work for the service of the house of the Lord is finished. God has things for us to do and he will go before you and he will be with you the entire time and I would say he is with you now if we know that A.W. Tozer says this we need never shout across the spaces to an absent God it's not up there but he is nearer than our own soul closer than our most secret thoughts he's right there with you and just like he was with Joseph, Moses, Joshua, Solomon, and David, he can be with you. He promises that his presence is persistent and he's not going anywhere. Whistle. That's a reminder. Whistle because God's with you. Go outside. Whistle while you wait. Whistle while you work. Whistle while you live. I can't whistle. <laughs> but in here, it's happening. In here, it's already done. The first thing he recognizes is God's not going anywhere. Second thing, God's plans have purpose. They always have purpose. Now, there's several aspects to this. In Genesis chapter 40, we see the story of the king's cupbearer around Joseph's life. I think God's plans have a purpose so that others can see the Lord. The cupbearer saw the Lord. You guys know this story? I'm going to break it down for you in just a second. One, the king's cupbearer and baker get thrown into prison. And they're in there for a while. They become friends because now Joseph's in charge of the prison and he is taking care of them, serving them day after day. And one day, Joseph sees that the cupbearer and baker are discouraged. So if we look at verse 7 and 8, he asked the Pharaoh's officers who were with him in custody at his master's house, he's talking to the cupbearer and the baker, why are your faces downcast? When you're faithful to God, you know that you're not looking inward at me and what I can get. What happens when we see our problems? Our problems get bigger and God gets smaller and we implode. What happens when God gets bigger? Our problems get smaller and other people get bigger. He shows us the needs around us. So Joseph goes to minister to them while he's unfairly serving a prison term. 
We've had dreams and there's no one to interpret them, but we're disturbed by them. And Joseph says to them, don't interpretate. First response, don't interpretations belong to God? Bring it on. Tell them to me. I think that's great. Right out of the gate, he says, please tell them to me. Joseph glorifies God and interprets their dreams immediately. And then in verse 14, what does he say after he interprets the dreams? Because he tells the cupbearer, you're going to be fine. And then he says this, only remember me, cupbearer, when it's well with you. And please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh to get me out of here. I've been serving time for something I did not do. I've been faithful to God, and now I've had an opportunity to serve God right here and trust him. And I interpret the dream that God gives me faithfully because I wasn't looking at me. Uh, Well, you're going to let me out. Let me out. He interprets the next guy's dream because the next guy goes, wow, this is great. Baker comes up and he goes, by the way, you're going to be dead in three days. Within three days, both situations came absolutely true. And the cupbearer forgot Joseph. Cupbearer walks away, goes back to his job. He's reinstated. The baker is hanged. And the cupbearer says nothing to Pharaoh. Why? He's comfortable again. He, the cupbearer was about the cupbearer. Joseph was about the cupbearer. It is our job to be about the cupbearer, not about us. We should, like Joseph, be looking outward to the cupbearer's needs. Not so that we can get out, but eventually we're going to see what happens. Joseph glorifies God by interpreting their dreams, and he mentions in inter- for the interpretation, he asks to get out. The dreams come true, and I can imagine time going by, and I can't help but think that Joseph is praying like I would pray. How would you pray? Why is this happening to me? What did I do wrong? What have I done to deserve this? In my own life, I've got asked God a lot of times, why can't life be easier? Am I going against the goads? What am I doing wrong? It's not until we believe that we're right with God, or right where God wants us to be, rather, that we can truly be used by God and whistle while we're in there and stop praying prayers like that. What we usually do is waffle in our complaints. We'll waffle in, or we'll whine about instead of whistling. Time after time I've heard people agonize about this can't be God's will. What, what is happening in my life right now cannot be God's will. Sitting in jail cannot be God's will for Joseph because God's got bigger plans for Joseph, right? That's hard to wrap our minds around. The truth is, there are some uncontrollable situations that happen all the time. Deaths, little babies die. Suicides, all around us. We try and explain the uncomfortable We try and talk God out of the uncomfortable. But we don't often settle in the uncomfortable knowing that when we get to heaven, we'll have questions. We're all going to have questions, and we can't put our fingers on the uncomfortable. There's nothing we can do about it to take it away. It's still happening. But God is there. There are questions. I would say settle in it. Look outward after you look upward. 
it always makes sense after something happens, the only part of God that we ever understand is the part we obey. Oswald Chambers said that in about 2,000 words. <laughs> when we obey God, we understand what he planned to do back then. If you look in John 5.17, it shows another reason. Not just to look out, but to show that God is always working. Jesus answered them, my father is working until now, and I am working. God never stops working. So I believe when Joseph responds, don't interpretations belong to God? Bring it on. He was simply saying, I believe God's working, and I am following the instruction that he's giving me literally while we're having this conversation. He wasn't bogged down or preoccupied by anything else, by his own affairs, he just knew God had a plan. He didn't know what it was. And every moment of every day was an opportunity to minister to someone or be ministered to. We can serve God through the trial or we can complain to God about the trial. Either way, the trial is real and it's there. Luke 16, 10 through 11 says, One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. One who is dishonest in little is dishonest in much. If you've not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you to true riches, spiritual riches? When we are not faithful with little things, he doesn't give us bigger tests. We're constantly having to go back to the same lesson over and over again, and we wonder why we're not getting ahead and spinning our wheels you watch a progression of Joseph just constantly excelling, constantly moving up. Why? He didn't set his sights on the top of the ladder. He set his sights on the owner of the ladder. He set his sights on something so much bigger, a relationship with God on a day-to-day -day basis. He realized that God wanted to use him in times of waiting. And when we realize that God's always at work, that changes our perspective in the day. Here's another reason. It strengthens our faith. He was constantly and consistently faithful. Nothing owned him but the Lord. In all he did, he served the Lord. The story continues in chapter 41. Pharaoh has two dreams. We're back to the dreams again. He freaks out. He calls his magicians and the wise men in Egypt to interpret the dreams, and no one can interpret the dreams. And all of a sudden, the cupbearer goes, I remember. There's this guy in prison who I was with who interpreted the dreams for me and the baker, and they both came true, and here I am. You need to call him. So Pharaoh sends to Joseph, and in verse 16 of chapter 41, Joseph answered Pharaoh, It is not me that's going to answer, but God will shortly bring it about. He's going to give you a favorable answer. How did Joseph know that? I think we can get so close to God that while we're in our walking around day-to-day -day relationships with other people, he can speak to us while we're talking to other people. I think that he knew innately, right away, that he was hearing from God, and it was God he was hearing from. Joseph was that good at hearing from God. And Pharaoh tells Joseph in his dreams... He tells them what they mean. You got the stalks are and the, 
the, the animals are one dream in itself. But God's trying to drive the point home that this is going to come to pass. It is going to happen. So you've had two dreams that have the exact same meaning. And in verse 12, at the doubting of Pharaoh, and the doubling of Pharaoh's dreams means that the thing is fixed by God and that God will shortly, surely bring it about. Pharaoh moves Joseph into the house. He gives him his signet ring. He hooks him up with a wife and he begins to stockpile food and he runs the nation of Egypt right after that. He goes from the prison to the palace all of a sudden just like that overnight because his faith was already strong and had been building and now it's really strong. For our healing, I think this is amazing. His wife, Anaseth, bears a couple of sons. And in verse 51, Joseph calls him Manasseh. For he said, God has made me forget all my hardship in all my father's house. The word Manasseh literally means to make to forget. God gives him freedom to forgive. He's thinking about his brothers all this time in the background. He's got to be. But all of a sudden, through all this growth and this faith and this thinking of others, it doesn't bother him as much anymore. And God gives him healing. Obedience and faithfulness has helped Joseph forgive. It will help you forgive. The first thing that I thought when I turned my life back over to Christ in 2000, I mean in 1998, was I had been told I was an alcoholic for years. You know what I found out my problem was? It was unforgiveness. And it started in my own home. But when he healed me from that unforgiveness, it freed me up. And I didn't have the desires to do other things anymore. Because God calls the main thing the main thing in your life. And when he does, he removes it and healing takes place. And you look up and go, why am I not shaking? Why are these things different? Why are my desires changing? It's because God heals in different ways than we put our fingers on it. God knows where your healing really needs to take place. But you think you've got an answer because somebody else told you. And it wasn't true godly counsel. I want you to think outside the box. The godly healing is spiritual. And that when spirituality touches intellectual and physical and emotional, all those things cannot be separated in your life. And when you get spiritual healing, you wake up a new creation and go, what the heck? People got to know this is the best news ever. You cannot fabricate that. It comes from... The God of the universe. And if he can hang the stars, he's got you. And he will reveal to you what he wants you to see. I once was blind, but now I see. Not I used, I can read good stuff and be smart and, and then slowly I'll grow in my faith. No, it's obedience and faithfulness and surrender. That's all. Joseph was a master at surrender. He surrendered to be a slave from the time he was in the pit 
to the time he was in the palace and God glorified him and everyone around him was blessed. That's not easy for us to do. We're trying to reach the top and step on people to get there. It's the opposite effect. And Satan would have you believe the opposite thing to keep you wallowing rather than whistling. Genesis 45. Joseph, because of his faithfulness, is reunited with his brothers and they are scared to death. And he says, don't be distressed or angry. God healed me because you sold me. You guys are jerks. God sent me before you. God went before me. I follow God. God sent me before you to save you. To preserve your life. That is awesome. What does verse 7 say? God sent me again before you to preserve for you a remnant on the earth. That I promised Abraham the Israelites are going to be, they're going to multiply and you're going to be fine. And to keep alive for you many survivors. I'm here to save the people that threw me in a pit and planned to kill me. Chapter 50, Jacob is dead by this point and now they think that Jacob kept me alive. I mean, Jacob is the reason that he was nice all that time. Now the brothers are freaking out again. And what does he do? He reminds them all over again. Do not fear, for I am in, am I in the place of God? We put ourselves in the place of judgment when we shouldn't. We put ourselves in the place of God when we shouldn't. We don't forgive when we should. Why? Because we haven't been faithful when we should have. As for you, you meant evil against me. But that didn't matter to me. God meant it for good to bring about a many people should be kept alive as they are today. God has a plan, and it's so much better than ours. You ever been distressed or angry with yourself or someone else for something they've done in the past and never let it go? You could be an alcoholic. <laughs> I'm telling you. You could think that the ways you're handling it make you what you are. But in reality, it's a heart condition that only God can heal. He, he heals us for our hope as well. Joseph believed this simple truth that Jeremiah wrote. And you guys are so familiar with this, but I couldn't resist to put it in here. I know the what I have for you. God's got a plan for every one of us. He's got a plan for you. When you go to bed tonight, ask him what it is. And then when you get up tomorrow, ask him what it is. And then go do what... Your assignment yesterday was. He's got a plan for you. Of peace and not of evil. To give you a future and a hope. Of welfare. He wants to bless us. To give you a future and a hope. Then you will call on me. And you will come pray to me. And I'll hear you. When? When you seek me and find me. When? When you do it with all of your heart. He wants to bless us, but oftentimes we step on God's toes because we can't let him do the blessing. We want to do the blessing. We think that the blessing is supposed to look like blank, but it never does. That's what makes it a miracle. 
when you're obedient and he shows you what happens after the fact, hindsight really genuinely is 2020. And that's the testimony that we can share that does not look like the rest of the world. That's what makes Joseph different. That's how he got to the palace. And that's what God wants you to look at. When we go outside and we look up, we see that God hung all that. And that the reality is we're going to be in heaven for eternity. Why don't I live like it while I'm here? Why don't I live like it now? He has plans of peace. God's presence is persistent. His plans have a purpose. And finally, his power is personal. Remember Joseph back in his early slave days? Let's look again in verse 39. The Lord was with Joseph. He became a successful man. He was in the house of his Egyptian master. The Lord was with Joseph. His master saw that the Lord was with him. And that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed. His witness. God's power let them see that. The Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge. How could that happen? How could it happen that constantly he is getting lifted up? That's God's power. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with Joseph. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. Because the Lord of all creation was with Joseph, whatever he did succeeded. We think that whatever I did, I must be smart, so that's why I succeeded. We say all the time in this country, I'm a self-made man. I pulled myself up by my bootstraps, and I did great. When Jesus says, you can't do anything without me. I am the vine, you are the branches, he who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. Is the Lord with me or am I just plugging along and every once in a while I say, the Lord bless me. I have had people tell me, the Lord has blessed me with a wife and 2.3 kids and a dog and blah, blah. How many people do you know have a wife and 2.3 kids and a dog that are going to hell? How many people do you know have $8 million in the bank who are miserable and dying and go to hell? How many people do you know think they have success by the world's standards who are completely lost and don't have any hope whatsoever because they have no power from God? God allowed them to have everything that they have. Don't get me wrong. But if that's the case... You didn't pull yourself up by your bootstraps. The Lord allowed that to happen for his purposes at some point. We need to be able to see as Christians that everything that I have comes from him and that I owe it back, that I am his. Because the Lord of all creation was with him. In Acts 1.8, Jesus told his disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This is why we're going to Puerto Rico. Because we want to reach people here on Dolphin Island. We want to reach people in South Mobile County, in Mobile and Baldwin County, and then Puerto Rico and Africa and Israel and wherever we go. That is the Great Commission in essence. And Jesus prayed, you're doing it because I'm sending my spirit to be with you. 
I did it for Joseph. Way back in the Old Testament, when nobody was looking, Joseph was faithful because he knew God. He spent time with God. The Lord is ever-present, all-knowing, and all-powerful. He can use a donkey or a lost person in your life. Don't think that he can't. He used Pharaoh to save the Israelites. Joseph's life is a great Old Testament picture of the gospel, starting with salvation to his people and spreading to a lost world. Psalm 29.11 says, The Lord gives strength to his people. The Lord blesses his people with peace. And last week we read, He gives strength to the powerless. And those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. If you're tired, you don't have to be. You can whistle while you wait. The band's going to come up now. We're going to wrap this service up. And before they do, I want to just say a couple of things. If he gives his strength to his people, he'll bless his people with peace. That's what that scripture says. You might not have peace. You might not have strength. And just by walking out and looking up at stars doesn't necessarily give you strength, does it? Just by looking at the just by looking at clouds doesn't give us strength. Jesus said, Be, I'm at the door knocking. He opens the door. I'll come in and I'll fellowship with them. Jesus knocks. He tells us things. He gives us promises in Scripture. He tells us His Holy Spirit's going to be with us. But we don't really always receive that. From the time Joseph was 17 to the time he went in to the palace, was he was 30 years old when he went into the palace. So 13 years is a long time to be faithful. 13 years can seem like a long time for us. My life's half over. I missed my calling in 13 years. What's God really doing? Are you waiting for something good to happen in your life? I would say there's no time to waste. That when you're whistling while you're waiting, you're actually doing something. That whistling is a demonstration of faith that you've received from God. For all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. I want God to do this, and then we pick and choose in Scripture what it is that we'll respond to. He wants to be faithful in everything that He tells us to do. From whether it's just I should go to church. I should tithe. I shouldn't cheat on my wife. I shouldn't, I mean, he doesn't pull back his information for what we should do. He tells us all over in scripture. But when we hear it, we go, ah, I don't really like that, or that's inconvenient. And so we don't get the full blessing, and we don't go to the palace. We stop somewhere between the pit and anywhere in there. And sometimes we end up going back to the pit. We're sold into slavery, but we were such bad slaves that we got kicked out. And God said, you got to go back to the pit. Here's a shovel. Good luck getting out by yourself. There's no ladder. And we die. As believers in Christ, we will say, I want you, but not enough to really make you Lord of my life. 
Not enough to give you everything that I am. There's a big difference in wanting a pass from hell to receiving from the pit to the palace blessings. And it's costly to our minds. When we offer our bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to him, then our minds are transformed and renewed, right? Offer him your heart. Joseph gave his heart up when he realized he was a jerk and he was a little arrogant at home. I believe that somewhere along the way, Joseph realized I didn't have any business telling my parents that they were going to bow down to me. I had no business telling my brothers that kind of stuff. Thank you, Lord, for forgiving me for that. God will reveal things to you in your head after you give them your heart. 13 years is a long time to waste. Maybe you've been waiting on God to answer a prayer or move. And he's been wanting to. But Matthew 7, 21, Jesus wrote, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom. But the one who does my will is the one. The one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. When you leave here tonight, I want you to be confident more than anything that you can whistle like Joseph did. That you can whistle in your walking. That you can whistle while you work, you can whistle while you wait, and your whistling is simply a demonstration of your faith. Through faith in Christ, you can be whistling all the time, not waiting for something to change and then be able to enjoy the unenjoyable. I'm going to ask you to stand, and I'm going to present one thing. Most of you have already heard it, but you might know somebody who doesn't know Jesus. For all who call in the name of the Lord will be saved. But we're all sinners, every one of us. And we all fall short of the glory of God. But while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While I was a sinner, Christ looked down and said, David, forgive David, because he doesn't know what he's doing. We as believers, more than anyone on the planet, should know what we're doing. And we are wasting time if we are not whistling for the gospel. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish. Why did Jesus say, you can believe in me, but not who I'll call are going? I'll tell you, because your belief shows up here. Our belief, if it's not showing up here, maybe it's not real. pray and if you don't have real belief just pray because God will hear you like you heard Joseph Lord I don't know that I know that I know that Jesus died on the cross for my sins I don't know you personally the way David was talking I don't know you the way David the way Joseph did but I want to so I believe today that Jesus died for my sins and I am a sinner and I turn from my sin and I turn to you. That's all you have to say. Something like that. that and God will save you. I want to know about it if that's what happens. If you know somebody that's lost or just not living for Christ, 
pray for them at this time. Let's bow our heads. Close our eyes. Lord, we thank you for an encouraging story that lasted quite a, a while. And 13 years to us, or to me anyway, does seem like a long time. A lot can happen in that time. It's my prayer right now, Lord, that if there's anyone here that doesn't know you, that they wouldn't waste any more time. You say in your word that now is the day of salvation. Today is the accept. Today is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. Because we don't know if we're going to have tomorrow. Lord, convict those. If there's, there are people that we are all praying for right now, that we love, that we want to know you, and maybe we have wasted our own time wallowing in our own trouble rather than whistling and waning in our faith rather than being faithful. Lord, I ask for forgiveness. We as a church ask for forgiveness that we might be productive every minute of every day in our faith walk and that you would take us from a pit to a palace, from a prison to a palace, that you would use us to bless the world around us and that they would see who we know rather than what 